tonight we're continuing uh, in this series that I started uh, last weekend about the five axioms of our identity. And we're talking about who we are as free people. We're free people, church, free people. It's who we are. It's what we do. And uh, Jesus quoted Isaiah 61 in Luke chapter 4, I believe. That reference might be wrong. But he quoted Luke chapter uh, 61 as his mandate. He said, this is fulfilled in your hearing. When It's like one of the first sermons he gave. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me. And he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor or poor in spirit and to set captives free. So the mandate of Jesus, his mission was to preach good news and to set captives free. And so he's set us free. And as free people, we get to pay it forward. Free people, free people. That's what it's all about. It's who we are. It's what we do. But as we talked about last week, we don't want to get those backwards. Because if we get it backwards, if we start doing to prove who we are, uh, then we've come out from underneath the yoke of Jesus. And that's when everything starts getting real, real difficult. And there's no grace on what we're trying to do for God. It's not empowered. And so what we do for God needs to flow from our identity and uh, who we are. And as I said last week, and I want to say this again, especially for some of you younger people in the room, When you're a young person, starting around junior high, up through college, maybe all the way into your 50s or 60s, uh, you're seeking your identity. You're like, who am I? Why am I the way I am? Why am I good at what I'm good at? Why do I feel like I'm not good at anything? You know, and you'll never find out who you are fully by looking within. Because you're made in the image of God, so you have to look at him. If you want to know who you are, look at Jesus And so last week we talked about, well, I'll go through them real quick because I hope by the end of this five weeks, this is like ingrained in our hearts and our spirits. Who are we as free people? And this is specific to our church, but let's just be honest. This is who we are as Christian people. This should apply to every single church that's out there. But uh, we're people of the word. We're people of the spirit. We're people of one another. We're people of the kingdom of God. And we're people for the world. And so in each one of those, uh, we're going we're gonna to look at each one of those and, and talk about what those mean. But this is who we are because this, each one of these is a reflection of who Jesus is. Jesus is of these things. So when we behold him in each of these things, we, we will behold him in each of these things. And so I'm excited to do that. Um, So tonight I want to talk about how we're people of the Spirit. What does it mean that we are people of the Spirit? I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Jesus, who is God. And to help us understand this, I want to start in John chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to go from there. So John chapter 3, this is Jesus' famous meeting with a man named Nicodemus. And I love this. I love this whole chapter. Um, But we're just going to look at these first eight verses. It says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God. No one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. So most Pharisees were against Jesus 
Nicodemus is believing. He's opening up to faith, but he's not sure. So he meets with him at night because he's kind of embarrassed. He doesn't want to get in trouble from the rulers and authorities for meeting with Jesus. So he's seeking him out at night. And Jesus replies to him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus asked him, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. He's taking very literally what Jesus is saying. Verse 5, Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. To see the kingdom of God To enter the kingdom of God is to see the kingdom of God. So Jesus is saying the same thing here twice. And to enter the kingdom of God, which should be our goal and ambition as Christian people, not only to enter it, but to bring it on the earth. We have to be born of water and the spirit. Jesus is not referencing water baptism here. He's referencing amniotic fluid. He's referencing being born physically. How many of you know if you didn't exist, you couldn't see the kingdom of God? Right? So you have to be a person on the earth. But he's actually addressing the Pharisee belief that if you're a child of Abraham, you're in the kingdom of God and you're going to heaven. Automatic, guaranteed, based on your blood, based on, it's like reverse racism. Right? It's like instead of the Aryan race, I don't know what you would call the Jewish race, right? Only it's like way up here. And that's how the Jewish people view themselves, especially the Pharisees. And in the same way that Jesus said, you know, do not suppose that just because you're Abraham's children that that you're in. For God can raise up children out of these stones. He said to confront that ideology. So they thought you could be born a Jew. You could be, if you were a Jewish person, you're in. And some, some Jewish rabbis taught at this time that the, some of the spirits of the priests would stand at the gates of hell to make sure that when Jewish people died, none of them wandered in there. Now, that's not scripture. That's legend. But I'm telling you, this is how strongly they believed this. So think about this. If you're born a Jew, live how you want. You could be a terrible person going to heaven. You could be full of idolatry, worshiping other false gods, Witchcraft divination, going to heaven, I'm a Jew. No wonder their country was so full of idolatry. It sounds a lot like America in our day and age with the progressive Christianity. It's all grace. If, if you say a prayer and you know, you know Jesus, going to heaven, live however you want. Do whatever you want. And Jesus confronts this. He goes, no, no, no. You have to be born of water and the Spirit. Verse 6, flesh gives birth to flesh. See, that's how we know. Born of the water, he's talking about amniotic fluid and the spirit. Flesh, that's your physical birth, gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone Born of the Spirit. How many of you actually remember being born? No one, right? 
because that's how God wired us. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You can't see the wind. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. I wonder if I asked you, do you know the moment you got born again? Some of you say, yes, I do. And I, I would ask you, why do you know that? And you would probably say, I said a prayer and I got baptized. That's what you did. But you, we can't see the spiritual exchange that's going on. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So let me help put a little bit of words and language to how this works. Last week we talked about we're people of the Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So how can they believe unless someone is sent to them? You can't be saved unless you know Jesus Christ. You can't know Jesus Christ unless you first hear the gospel about what he did for you. That he lived the perfect life you couldn't live. And in his grace, he gave his life on a cross to die for your sin, to pay the death penalty that you and I deserve because the wages of sin is death. But he rose again, proving himself, that, proving that he is God and he has authority to, to forgive sin. And that's why scripture says we're saved when we confess Jesus as what? Lord. He's Lord over death. He's Lord over sin. He's Lord over the universe. So we're saved by hearing the word. When you hear the gospel, you may not have realized this, but it is a marriage invitation. It's a proposal. God is saying, I love you. I want to be back in relationship with you. Will you be in covenant with me? It's a proposal. Every person on earth has a choice whether or not to accept that proposal or not. And if you can reject it, but if you choose to accept it, what do we do? We confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. What is that? That's a vow. Jesus is Lord. So when you hear the gospel, it's a proposal. When you make a vow, Jesus is Lord, you're at the marriage altar, you're making your vows. You're saying, I accept you. Let me tell you something. Jesus says, I be, he's been saying for thousands of years, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's the lamb slain before the creation of the world. Before you were born, he set you apart. Jesus, for every person on earth, he's been waiting for thousands of years for you to come to the altar and say yes. And so the moment you say yes, he doesn't waste any time. He wants to consummate the marriage as soon as possible. And when you say, Jesus is Lord, you've made your vow, Holy Spirit goes, move over, I'm coming in, consummate the marriage, and Jesus gets conceived and born in you. That's a work of the Spirit. Your work is making the vow, giving permission. But I'm telling you, as soon as you give permission, Holy Spirit comes in and he conceives and you become a new creation. It's, a, it's an expedited timeline. There's no nine months. Jesus can see, you know, you get conceived with Holy Spirit, and then in nine months after that vow, you'll, you'll become a Christian. You'll be born again. No, no, no. It's like move in, conceive, born again, boom, in spirit, in you. Mary is the prototype. The angel comes to her. God wants you to have the Savior of the world. What it, how did she respond? Zachariah, not so well. How's that going to happen? It's full of doubt. She didn't say that. She said, how will this be? Because I'm a virgin. That's different. 
She's saying, I don't want to send, should I send the causes? No, 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 no. And he tells her how it's going to happen. And you know what she says? May it be to me as you have said. Boom, covenant, vow, permission, boom. Holy Spirit conceives in her. Jesus lives inside of her. That's the prototype. So we hear the word. If we make the choice, we get saved. And in the moment we get saved, Holy Spirit comes in. Scripture says it this way, Ephesians 1. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. The Holy Spirit's present and, and all that gifts, power, all that he brings, communion, fellowship, hearing the voice of God, all of that, as awesome as those experiences are, they're just a deposit guaranteeing heaven. It's just a little, it's just a little taste of heaven. But he's inside of you, and you can access anytime you want. So when you believe, you conceive, and you're born again, if it's true authentic faith, you're born of the Spirit of God. It's a work of God. Yet to those who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children not born of a human decision or husband's will, but born of God. New birth means new nature. New nature means new life. New life would mean a new life style. So if you don't see yourself or people living the new life, then maybe you said a religious prayer, maybe you got wet, but perhaps you're not born again. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? Man, I'm testing myself all the time. I'm examining myself all the time. And here's what I'm doing. What's my nature, Jesus, are my actions and my lifestyle measuring up with that? And let's be honest, sometimes they're not. If you find your actions and lifestyle aren't lining up with new nature, that doesn't necessarily mean you're not born again, but it probably means that you have compromise or idolatry or complacency somewhere in your life. And you probably need to deny yourself a whole lot more and act in alignment with who you are in Christ. And so for the rest of our time tonight, I want to talk about three attributes of people of the Spirit. People who are truly born again. And as we go through these, I want you to examine yourself and think about in each one of these, is this me? Am I living this? And again, I would be very careful. I'm going to say this too. Like my, my personality, I'm so prone to, um, for a whole lot of reasons, the way I grew up and just the whole, the whole thing, all the experiences in my life, I'm more prone to self-condemnation, right? Like, God, you're so holy. Like Isaiah 6, woe to me. I suck. You're awesome. Like that's how I'm prone. So when I examine myself, I have to be careful. I have to be very careful because the enemy knows that. And he can start jumping on, masquerading as the voice of God, but it's really a spirit of condemnation. So I don't want you to condemn yourself. I want you to examine yourself 
Test yourself. And I examine and I test our church all the time. I examine and test our church leadership all the time. Like, how are we making decisions? Why are we doing what we're doing? Is it in alignment with the character and nature of Jesus, who we are in Christ? Is it what we see in Scripture? And if it's not, then we repent, we make some adjustments, and we, we ask the Lord to show us how to get in alignment here and to live from who we really are. So three attributes of, of people of the Spirit. People of the Spirit are people with the character of Jesus. They're people with the gifts and power of Jesus. That should get you excited. And they're people that are being led by Jesus. And as we'll talk about, a.k.a. people who are led by the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus in our midst today. So let's go through these. Number one, people of the Spirit are people with the character of Jesus. I love how A.W. Tozer says it. The Holy Spirit never enters a man and then lets him live like the world, you can be sure of that. Scripture says when you get saved, part of that new being reborn, and it's a work of the Spirit, it's not something you do. The Holy Spirit circumcises your heart. To circumcise is to cut off. What's it cutting off? Your flesh nature. And so when you get born again, the Holy Spirit circumcises your heart. And here's, here's what that feels like. Your old nature gets cut off. And all the things that you used to seek, the sin that was pleasurable, because let's be honest, a whole lot of sin is pleasurable to our flesh. But that sin that was pleasurable, all of a sudden, it's not, it doesn't seem appealing anymore. Or how many of you... When you got born again and in your na- naivete <laughs> was like, well, I love Jesus. I want to please him, but uh, I'm going to go back to this for a while. And you tried to go back to the drinking or the weed or the smoking or the sexual immorality, the porn. And when you did, it, there was no pleasure in it. You felt death. You felt conviction. And then you're like, what is going on? <laughs> this isn't working anymore. This isn't satisfying me anymore. Why? Because you got born again. Your heart got circumcised. Praise God. You got cut off. You will praise God for that because that's what empowers you to live the new life. And then you'll notice something else. There's these new desires. Wait a second. I kind of want to pray on my way to work driving in the car. That's kind of weird. Never wanted to do that anymore or before. I kind of want to read scripture. Man, that's weird. That's new nature. So he cuts off and he empowers. And so when you're a believer, one of the marks of, that you're born again is if you sin, you're going to feel convicted. <laughs> and so the spirit of condemnation jumps on that and tries to, oh, you sin. And you're like, oh, I'm the worst. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. Before I was with Jesus, I lived in a whole lot of sin and I did not feel conviction. I enjoyed it and I kept doing it. There's a whole lot of secular people out there who are not born again, who are living in sin, and they don't feel bad about it. That's scary for them. So if you find you're feeling bad about a sin you stepped into, don't let condemnation lie to you 
that, oh, you're, you don't even know him. You're not even saved. Bah. Put on your helmet of salvation. <laughs> That's why it's a helmet of salvation. The enemy attacks your mind with condemnation. And when you put that on, it's like, no, I'm saved. But wow, I need to repent here. And I don't want to feel like this. And Lord, I've, I've been far from you. And I don't want to be far from you. And so the Holy Spirit will bring conviction into your life. How many of you ever heard this uh, quote? I see this meme floating around. And every time I see it, it just blesses me. And I laugh. But it says, the Holy Spirit doesn't just make you dance and speak in tongues. He also makes you shut up, apologize, and examine yourself. <laughs> he does. He does. How many of you went to post some on Facebook and the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, we're not posting that today. Uh-uh. New nature. How many of you went to tell a joke to some of the buddies in the locker room after you got saved and you're like, hey, guys, oh, ooh, maybe I shouldn't tell that one today. Yeah, we're not doing that anymore. Coarse joking is out of place now for the new nature. So when you believe, when you believe, Holy Spirit comes in you. That's the new birth. And the fruit of that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's Galatians 5. The fruit, the Spirit in you is the nature of Jesus. And that's for you. So you become like Jesus. And the fruit of living in the nature of Jesus is the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I want to be very clear here as far as being people of the Spirit. I listed three things. And some of those things are very exciting when you start talking about power and gifts. It's like, ooh, fun. Let's get to that. There's a reason this is listed as number one. This comes primary. This is number one. Right here. In God's mind. In God's book. The fruit, and I'm going to explain why here in a minute. The fruit of the Holy Spirit will grow out of your personal secret place time with Jesus. If you jump to number two, power and gifts, and doing ministry for Jesus to try to make you feel better about yourself so you can be more loving and peaceful, how many of you know, just as I said that, you felt kind of gross and were like, that's jacked up, right? How many of you also know, without helping it, you're kind of angry sometimes, you're kind of depressed sometimes, and all those accomplishments will never take that away. Spending time with Jesus one-on-one -on -one, in the scriptures, in prayer, developing a real relationship where he speaks to you. He will gently show you, oh, you need, to, you need to repent of this. This is why you're feeling this way. He will restore your heart in those times. He will refresh you. He will fill you with his love, joy, and peace. He will encourage you. And that will bring healing. And as you experience his love for yourself one-on-one, -on -one, you start to love yourself, accept yourself. You're just like, wow. And then he fills you with his love. And you're so happy in his love for you. It's almost like you don't have to try. It just grows, you know, like it's fruit. It just grows, you know. 
You don't have to work at it. It just is growing out of that time with Jesus, and you just find yourself more loving and more at peace and more joyful and more patient. This is primary because if we want the power and gifts of Jesus without his nature in us, then we make the spiritual gifts and the anointing, the power to use those gifts, an idol. And we'll be in danger of becoming like Simon the sorcerer, who was a witchcraft dude. He believed the gospel. He got saved, saved, baptized. So we'll assume born again guy. But he sees the apostles laying hands on people and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And he knows, wow, that's greater power than I ever had in the witchcraft world. And he goes, I want that. And he goes to Peter and notice he doesn't say, hey, pray that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit so I can help bring Jesus's kingdom on the earth, which is what the power and gifts are for. No, he goes, pray for me so I can have that ability to bless people and they wig out and speak in tongues and fall on the floor and to have power encounters with God. I want that. And Peter goes, I will not pray for you. That is wrong. I can see a bitterness in your heart. You're jealous. So you need to repent. You need deliverance. I believe that's why in, I believe it's Matthew 25, where Jesus at the judgment is like, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, on that day, and I'll say away from you, I never knew you. And when he lists with those people, people are saying, Lord, Lord, that means they've, they're like, you're my Lord. I, I said the prayer. I confess you as Lord. And he's like, I didn't even know you. And, and they'll say, what? Didn't we prophesy and drive out demons and do miracles in your name? Now think about this. If they're saying this, to Jesus on Judgment Day, then those were probably authentic things. I think it's interesting. That's what is listed there uh, out of this list of spiritual gifts are like the, the power gifts. <laughs> like, woo, that's powerful. Prophesy. Drive out demons. Do miracles. Didn't we do that in your name? And he's like, yeah, but I didn't know you. I didn't know you. Is it possible for someone to get a spiritual gift and have the power of Jesus and start using that and seeing it work and see it be effective. And I'll say it this way, seeing Jesus honor what he gave them. And yet in their integrity, they drift. Is that possible? I think we see it all the time. The, the mistake the American church makes in the discernment is once that person has a moral failure or it's found out they're stealing money or it's found out whatever, fill in the blank, we go, oh, they're a heretic and a false teacher. It's like, hold up. There's a lot of people that went to those meetings and they got literally healed. Hold up. There's people who went to those meetings and accepted Christ as Lord. And they're a believing Christian. Life transformation. It was authentic. What happened there? They idolized the power and the gifts. And they didn't care about the primary, which is the nature of Jesus, communing with Jesus, their relationship with Jesus. And I think we see it all the time. And that's why this one is primary. It has to be primary. 
And so people of the Spirit are people with the nature of Jesus. And that's really, really, really important. So the Spirit is in you. That's, that's the Spirit of Jesus. That's his nature. The fruit of that is the fruit of the Spirit. And that's for you. Now let's talk about number two. People of the Spirit are people, should be people, <laughs> with the power and gifts of Jesus. Matthew 3.11, John the Baptist describes Jesus as, he's like, I'm, I'm baptizing you with water for repentance of sins, but after me comes one whose sandals I'm not worthy to even untie. I'm not, I'm not even worthy to take off his shoes for him. And he is the one that's gonna baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. So John the Baptist describes Jesus as the one who will baptize in the Holy Spirit and fire. It says, after he resurrected, this is a quote from the Psalms, but Paul requotes it in New Testament, that he took, led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Who are the captives he led in his train? The picture is he's ascending. It's not demons. He took you and I captive. We're prisoners of war in the kingdom of heaven. We were in the kingdom of darkness and we were soldiers. Jesus conquered us. He took us as his. He gave us a choice. He's like, you can stay in that kingdom and die and, uh, and suffer my wrath and judgment or you can come with me. So he took us as captives, and then he's such a good Lord and master, once we're over on his side and we're away from the enemy's camp, he sets us free, and he gives us gifts. Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells his disciples, it says on one occasion, he was eating with them, He gave him this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with or in the Holy Spirit. Now I want to delineate something here. In John chapter 20 on resurrection day, he appears to them, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Do you think they received the Holy Spirit in that moment? I believe they did. Why do I believe that? This is the moment they got saved. Why do I say that? They followed Jesus for three years, but he had not died for the sins of all mankind yet, and he hasn't resurrected yet. How, how do we come to faith? In, how, do, how are we born again? We believe on the resurrected Christ. That's what the scriptures teach. So resurrection day, he walks into the room. They look at him. They go, you're alive. Are they believing on the resurrected Christ? Yes. What's the first, this is the first thing he says. Finally, I I think in his mind, he says, finally, right? (sighs) Receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, been waiting on that a while. Man, I've longed for that to happen. Boom. They believe on resurrected Christ. They're saved. What's Paul saying in Ephesians 1? When you believe, boom, Spirit's in you. And if you do a word study on salvation and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, every single time in Scripture, that little word says in. He's in you. If you do a word study on the baptism or filling of the Holy Spirit, it's the Spirit comes on them. He's on you. Okay, so at salvation, 
The Holy Spirit comes in you. That's the nature of Jesus. That's the new birth. And that's for you to be like Jesus. In the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit comes on you in power. And he gives you gifts and he empowers those gifts. We could debate whether you get the gifts or you're born with the gifts and he's just empowering the gifts. We can debate that. But what we can't debate is he comes on you and when, he, when you are filled or baptized in the Holy Spirit, those words are used interchangeably in scripture. Those gifts get activated. They get turned on. So the Holy Spirit comes on you to empower you and to give you gifts to help other people know Jesus, or, or believe in Jesus, to build up the church. And that, the, powering, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit comes on you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I know it feels like it's for you, because <laughs> it feels good. <laughs> it's like, whoa, yes, Lord, but it's actually not for you. If you think about a superhero movie where, well, let's use X-Men. That's what I, how many of you grew up watching X-Men? Oh, he's using worldly examples again. (laughs) Some religious spirit just whispered that in somebody's ear. (laughs) Just kidding. There's a, a girl in there named Rogue. And her power was she could suck the power out of other people. And if she sucked on them long enough, it would permanently become her power. <laughs> I think I didn't plan to get that into it. So she gets empowered. If, so, if she didn't have to touch them, if somebody just touched her and she didn't know, boom, whoo, she gets filled with their power. Now, if that was you, if you imagine I'm Superman and I touch you, you get my power. That's probably going to feel pretty good. I'm invincible now. I can fly now. (laughs) Probably feels pretty good. But it's not for you. Superman doesn't get those gifts to be selfish. He's supposed to what? Save Save the world. Help the world. So when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, that's God on you. God on you feels good. God in you feels good. But it's actually not for you. It's for other people. That's why scripture says, use the gifts in love. Use the gifts in love. Don't use them selfishly. And that's what people do who idolize the gifts. It is about them. It's about gaining influence. It's about impressing people. Hey, look at me. I have a prophetic gift. Let me give a prophetic word. And you... A gift is a gift. The gifts and call of God are irrevocable. God gives them. And he lets you do with them what you're going to do. But he shows us in the word, if you're going to be like Jesus, you don't use them for you. So, people of the spirit are people with the power and gifts of the spirit. So we need to do them in love. But man, the the message the American church needs to hear is you need to use them. You need to believe that there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need to believe that there are spiritual gifts. When you have them, you need to use them. The word the American, the American church, when you start talking about this, 
get this subject, what most churches and church leaderships want to do is spend all the time talking about what I've already said. Oh, yeah, but you got to be careful. You got to be careful. Well, you got to be careful because the truth is we don't believe in it. We don't want it done here because we think it's weird. So we'll, we'll shift the conversation to be careful, be careful, be careful, integrity to shut you down so that we don't have to deal with it. That's why. That's what most churches do. So the American church, yes, we need to have integrity. Absolutely. But most of the American church needs to hear, believe the word of God. Believe this is for today. So you can receive it. So that you can be empowered. So that you can do it. So you can help the world know Jesus. So spiritual gifts are really, 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 really important. Really important. I said last week on Sunday, if you're here Saturday, I did not say this Saturday, but it slipped out on Sunday. And uh, I said I like the old school KGV term, Holy Ghost, in certain applications. Because in our modern American minds, when we think spirit, we think metaphor. Or we think alcohol, the spirits, right? Right? When we think ghost, we think a ghost. What is a ghost? A, a person without a body. And if it's haunting your house, it can do things. It can, it can move objects. It can, it can speak. It's like, ooh. And you're like, that's a ghost. It, it was a little girl. I saw it. It's, it's a real person, but their body's not here. Their ghost is. That's a really good description of the Holy Spirit. It is the ghost of Jesus. It's not a power. He's a person. His body isn't here. Can't see him, but he's here. So when you become a Christian, if you truly believe you get born again, the ghost of Jesus comes inside of you. I got interested this week as I was thinking about that on the definition of the word haunt. Do you know what the definition of the word haunt is? This is the first definition. Of a ghost to manifest itself at a place regularly. That's what it means. To manifest itself at a place regularly. What's manifest mean? It means to make clear or obvious to the senses. Something that's unseen, unclear, you don't even know it's there until, whoa, something just moved. Something just happened. Whoa, I heard a voice. What's going on? There's a spirit here. There's a ghost here. I don't know if you've ever been to this church before, but if this is your first time, I've got news for you. It's haunted. <laughs> it's haunted. It's haunted by the spirit of Jesus Christ. And he manifests himself regularly here. And more churches, God will do it for any church. He will just believe it. We're not special. But too many churches are Nazareth. Yeah, we know Jesus. We've heard the stories. Mm-hmm. 
Yep, we got the book. Talk about it every week. And he can't do many, many miracles there because of their lack of faith, because of their apistis in the Greek, unbelief. If you just believe, you can see Jesus manifest himself. In fact, that's what spiritual gifts are for. Did you know that? They're powerful. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7 says, Now to each one, each person who's a saved believer in the church, that means young or old. That means little kids who've professed Christ, who have Holy Spirit living in them. To the oldest person, to each one, a manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. It's talking about spiritual gifts. When you use a spiritual gift, do you know what happens? They operate by faith. You're engaging Holy Spirit. You do something. You use that gift. And guess what? Jesus manifests himself through you. So when we use spiritual gifts, Jesus manifests. The power of Jesus is released. The presence of Jesus is released. What does that mean? What does it mean to manifest? People go, whoa, God is real. Whoa, God is real. I didn't realize he was in this place, but he bust, his spirit just manifested himself through a person. Wow, because they're haunted. They're possessed by the ghost of Jesus. And they've given him permission, and he's given them gifts. And when they fan it into flame and use it, whew, we become aware that God is in the room. And that's what they're for. Because God knew unbelief would be a problem. God knew that if we just had the book, it would become dead religion without his presence. Because it's never been about a book. The book is to introduce us to the author. Because you read cover to cover, even in Old Testament, God's desire is to dwell among his people, to dwell in his people. You read Revelation. Oh, finally, now God is dwelling with people. It's what he wants. But we have trouble believing it. We can preach the truth of the gospel. It will bear fruit. The Holy Spirit will honor it. And yet so many people struggle with unbelief. So many Christians. But when you have an encounter and an experience, you get baptized in the Spirit. Whoa! God is real. When you start speaking in another language and you're not trying it's not like, I want to study Spanish, and okay, I'm, I'm clumsy, and now I'm going to speak Spanish. In my experience, it's like, I'm not even thinking about speaking in tongues. I'm not even trying to speak in tongues. I'm not like, say a few sounds, make a few vowel sounds, and maybe it might start. No, I walk up to pray for my wife. I'm thinking English words, and I'm like, bah, 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 bah. and this other language comes out. And I look at the other people, and I can't stop doing it. And I'm like, what is happening? And then revelation starts coming. I start prophesying things I've never studied in scripture. But they were scripture. Wow, that's almost what happened to them in the Bible when it says they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Because tongues brings spirit of revelation and the spirit of prophecy. And I'm convinced 
that's why it builds you up and edifies you in the most holy faith. First of all, if you do it long enough in your private time, you will, you will get in the spirit. I like Corey Russell says it. I heard him say this and it confirmed my experience. Because after I got baptized in the Spirit and I was praying in tongues a lot because it was new to me, and I'm just like, what is this? I don't know, but I should do it. And I, just, I was just doing it. And what I would notice, I went through a season here where before every service, I'd walk through all the chairs and pray in tongues. And I noticed something. I would, it was always when I get to the, one of the first couple rows up front, I'd be like, I'd be like, oh, da, 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 you know, in my prayer language, normal, just talking, do, 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 do. going along. I'd get to the first two rows, and I'd just be like, do, do, do. <laughs> oh, Lord, <laughs> and then I'm crying, and then I'm like, oh, the Lord's going to move tonight, and I'm full of faith, and guess what? I'm in the Spirit, and that happened to me many times. I'm like, man, this is weird. Why does it always happen like that? And I heard Corey Russell teach on it, and he's a great follow on Instagram if you want to know more about prayer. He's all about prayer, not just praying in tongues, but all kinds of prayer. Follow him. He's a really good follower, really good teacher. Knows what he's talking about, has lived it for years. But he said, when you pray in tongues, pray until the shift happens. And I was like, what's, ooh, I don't know what you're talking about, but I know what you're talking about. The Holy Spirit's praying through you. And here's what I think is happening. You're uttering mysteries to God by the Spirit. So Holy Spirit's praying through you. You're allowing that. You're partnering with that. But you, your flesh, is just like, (laughs) you're treating it as a common thing. So you're just like, do-do-do-do-do, praying in my prayer language. Do-do-do-do-do, do-do-do-do. Ooh, presence of God. Oh, he's holy. Oh, bah! Now I'm in the spirit. Wow, now I'm partnering. Now I'm really partnering in the spirit. It's a special gift. This This is why... And I'm going to say this for the people who don't pray in tongues. And it's okay if you don't pray in tongues, by the way. This is why people who pray in tongues won't shut up about it. And they kind of annoy you about it. You ever pray in tongues? You want to pray in tongues? Can I pray for you to pray in tongues? Because <laughs> when you do it, you're like, you to yourself are like, God is real. He's in this place. This isn't me. And I know it. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 14, 24 and 25 says, but if an unbeliever or inquirer comes in while everyone's prophesying, they will be convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. And what he's saying is, the gift of prophecy is really important. And Paul says, thank God I speak in tongues more than all y'all. He said, I pray that everybody speaks in tongues. But prophecy is the most important spiritual gift. That's what Paul said. Because prophecy has to do with hearing God. You just want to talk to God all the time or do you want to hear from God? (laughs) And then when you hear from God and you use that to speak God's words under the inspiration of his spirit to people, it'll change their lives. It'll change someone's life to hear one prophetic word at a, at a well-timed moment. Just, boom, changes everything. And it's not even because the person is so gifted. I've seen God use people who don't even know they have a prophetic gift, who, who don't even use the word prophetic, who just walk up and go, I felt like God wanted me to tell you 
boom, and the person's like wrecked. Oh, changes their life. And the person is is not some, you know, evangelist that's well known for his prophetic gift. Reading off people's serial numbers or something from their cars. And God knows you and it's amazing. Oh, wow. Like, no, it's just some random person who believes in Jesus. And he can do that with anyone. That's what happens when we prophesy. To prophesy it has different meanings in scripture. The most general means to speak under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's all it means. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will speak to you. Holy Spirit will speak. He won't speak on his own. And he will tell you what is to come. Why is that? Why will Holy Spirit, why do we equate the prophetic prophesying with prophecy? Because they're related Because to build us up and encourage us, God knows one of the biggest things we fear is what's coming. God knows we need guidance. And when we say, give us guidance, help us, he goes, all right, get up and prophesy. Boom, here's what's coming. I've been seeing God, I don't know what to do in my life, let me pray for you. Whoa, God show me this, God's highlighting this. The person's like, oh my gosh, how did you know that? I've been thinking about that. God's confirming, he's building up, he's encouraging, he's giving direction. Prophecy is so important. Gifts manifest God. couple stories to encourage you about why they're so important. We had a lady here. Her name's Elaine. Many, 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 many years ago, she got saved in a church. You know how? She went in and was not living a good lifestyle. Sat in the back. Somebody got up and gave a word in tongues. Okay? Just popped off in tongues. Right? Somebody else gets up. Like, hey, we need an interpretation. This person gets up, gives the interpretation. The interpretation was a prophetic word of knowledge. There's someone here who's going through this, experiencing this. This is what you're like, blah, 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 blah. You know, whatever else it was. Jesus wants to know he loves you, whatever. And it was her. And she's like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. She didn't know anything about tongues. Know anything about anything. At the end of the service, they give an altar call. She's like, I'm going up. She gives her life to Christ because of a prophetic word in tongues. What did that do? God's here. He's real. There's no way a human being would have known that. And they just read my mail, and it spoke to me, and the Holy Spirit's moving, touches her heart. She falls down and says, God is really among you. So I'm accepting him. Several years ago, probably four or five years ago, the Lord gave me a word in church. And there was someone here with depression, and I was hearing the word seven, eight, or the number 718. So it was, at, it was like the end of the service. And I just jump up. We didn't have a space in our service where we let people share stuff like that back then. But I was like, all right, I know what I'm hearing, but get up. I just go, hey, by the way, before you leave, <laughs> I feel like there's somebody here and you're struggling with depression and I'm hearing the number 718 and I think that's your birthday. So that's you. You should go get prayer. And Jesus wants to help you with that. All right, have a great week, everyone. <laughs> Done. There was a lady sitting back there next to one of her friends and she looked at her friend, and she starts crying. She's like, I think that's me. And her friend's like, I think it is you. And she went up and got prayer. And one of our ministry team members told me this later. I didn't know it till like, a week or two later. And they said, somebody responded to that word. I go, really? I go, what happened? They said, it was a lady. She came up. She, she was crying. She said, that word is for me. She said, my birthday is 718. I've struggled with depression and, and suicidal ideations. She said, on the way to church, I saw trees while I'm driving, and I was thinking about 
what if I jerk my car into one of these trees? Like struggling on the way to church. My birthday's 718. I think that's me. I was like, what happened? She's like, well, we talked, we prayed, and she accepted Christ, gave her life to Christ that day. It was her first time in church. That's what happens. I ended up talking to that lady a while later. I eventually got to know her because she kept coming to our church. And you want to hear the Paul Harvey rest of the story? Do you, know how, do you know how her friend knew it was her? Do you want to know how she came to our church? She was going to a bar drinking a few weeks before that. And she met a lady from our church who was at the bar. And they just start talking. And you know what they spent most of the night talking about? They both discovered that both of their birthdays were 7-18. And at the end of the conversation, the 7-18 sisters, the one who goes to our church says, Hey, you should come to church with me. Got all these struggles in your life? You should come to church. It'll help. First time in church, that happens. God's like, I see you. I loved you when you were at the bar drinking. And I love you when you're sitting in this seat. So God had the grace to go, hey, Aaron, uh, just say depression and 718. <laughs> okay. Hey, everybody. 718 depression, get prayer. Okay, have a nice week. God is real. He manifests himself. How could a person know that? It's God. Anytime someone gets healed, healing gifts, healing anointings, we pray for healing. Boom, they get healed. I'm healed. Whoa, God is real. Right, this lady got healed a few months ago. Her name was Debbie. I think we shared her story. She goes running around the room. I, I, I heard him praying. I'm like, oh, God's doing something over there. You're all just shouting, woo! I'm like, whoa, whoa, somebody's excited. Then they take off running. I'm like, oh man, this is good. And as they're running, I'm like, ugh, God doing something here. What happened? Jesus healed me. He's real. He's in this place. That was after the service. Nobody's here but a handful of people. Jesus is still here because we're two or three are there. There he is. He's still healing. Jesus is like, I'll stay as long as y'all stay. I got nowhere to go. He doesn't need to sleep, all right? So he'll hang out. Healing manifests the presence of Jesus. People wake up. It encourages us. I don't know about you. And one of the criticisms of charismaticism and the gifts is, oh, you're teaching people to value experience more than the Bible. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been baptized in the Holy Spirit or experienced a miracle, it makes me want to get in my Bible even more. Even more. It's like, I got filled with spirit. I'm speaking in tongues and prophesying. I don't even understand what I'm doing. And I'm like, I got to go to the word. What is happening to me? I got to read the Bible more. And it sent me into a prayer closet that I haven't gotten out of yet. <laughs> got to pray. We got to pray. We got to pray. We got to pray. Like beating the drum. That's what it did for me. So we should be careful about criticizing Holy Spirit. And Jesus said something about that. It's not just the gifts of prophecy and healing, though, that manifest Jesus. How about acts of service? How about a couple here named Russ and Gail Bowman? 
they don't say two words. And they serve this church. You probably don't even know who they are. Russ has served on our parking teams for years. Gail served in many various ways. They clean our church. Sometimes through the week when they're cleaning, I wander in and I'm busy and I see them. And they just look and they smile at me. And Russ will just walk up and be like, and he just hugs me and I'm just like, oh. When someone with a spiritual gift of acts of service is doing an act of service that Holy Spirit wants them to do, it makes you, the, the love of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus is like radiating off of them. And it makes you feel like Jesus is washing your feet and he's happy about it. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> Some of you, yeah, you ever witness someone who does not have a spiritual gift of acts of service, like trying to help and stack chairs after service or something? <laughs> And they're just over there huffing. I'm like, get this done as soon as possible. Hey, how's it going? Don't bother me. Stacking chairs. Need to get this over with. They're over there huffing, puffing, complaining. And you're like, oh, there's, there's some other kind of spirit radiating off of them right now. Yeah, let's just not ask him to help next time. Right? What about the gift of generosity? You ever had someone walk up to you and bless you with a gift that you know you didn't deserve, that was uncalled for, you never asked for, and they say, it just felt like the Lord wanted me to. And you're just like, people don't do this. God is real. Have you ever been blessed to be that person? And you give the gift, and you see the tears, and you're just like, it's God. It's God. Yeah, you're right. People don't do this. Sometimes in your heart, you're like, I didn't really want to do this, but we wrestled, and then, okay, I surrendered, and now I'm doing it, and I'm happy. Happy now. Spiritual gifts, manifest God. Manifest God. So people of the Spirit will be people of the character of Jesus. They'll be people of the power and gifts of Jesus. And last, they'll be people who are led by Jesus, which is the Holy Spirit. Acts 16, 7, 16, verse 7 says the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. So he's not with us in the flesh. He is in spirit, and that's very real. Romans eight fourteen says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. I don't, I don't want to rush through this point because this one's really, really, really important, especially to the American church. Even if you're a charismatic believer who, you know, people who aren't charismatic don't like the gifts. Okay, yes, we should have the nature of Jesus. They'll agree with my first point. Charismatics, yeah, we should be holy, we should have a character, and we should have the power and gifts. Let's talk about being spirit-led, being led by Jesus. When you see the disciples following Jesus, what do you witness? They call him master. He says, jump. They say, how high? There's no arguing. There's no messing around. They're not doing their own thing because it is high honor, high authority. He's in charge. We're the servants. That's how they viewed it. Honor and reverence for Jesus, which is why I think I find this so fascinating, and I've never heard anyone preach on it or, or, or write a book about it, and maybe there are. I've never read them. 
What I see in the book of Acts is a group of people who knew the man in the flesh. He's gone. Pentecost comes. They go, this is him. But now they're wrestling and grappling with how do we follow him in spirit? And it's not one man in front of us. We've all got it. How do we do this? And you know what their conclusion is? Prayer. We need to be in prayer all the time. Why? Because when prayer happens, when worship happens, Holy Spirit starts moving. Jesus starts manifesting. He starts speaking. And finally, for them, the early church, now we know what to do. Because what you see in the book of Acts is just as high a reverence and honor for the Holy Spirit as master and Lord as they had for the man who was in the flesh. That's what you see when you read the book of Acts. In fact, I want to read a few excerpts from the book of Acts about the, these are like major moments in, in, and specifically we're looking at church leaders because church leaders are asking for discernment or leadership for me so that I can lead people. These are big deals. These little excerpts are like major moments of leadership in the early church. And what I want you to notice is how major moments of leadership go down in the early church. And, and somewhere in the back of your mind, I want you kind of comparing, contrasting with what you know of the modern American church the church in our day and age, and maybe your personal life and how, how you let God lead you in your life, okay? So here's a few excerpts. Acts chapter 10. It says, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Get up, go downstairs. Don't hesitate to go with them for I've sent them. He's hungry. He goes up to pray. While he's praying, he has a vision Vision from Holy Spirit, three times, doesn't know what it means. And at the end of the vision, Holy Spirit says, hey, guess what? Here's what we're doing. Get up. There's three men. Go with them. Now, you have to understand what's happening right here. The Holy Jesus is orchestrating one of the most major church decisions that will ever happen in history. He doesn't speak it to all of them while they're together. He speaks it to Peter while he's by himself. The others got to trust he saw a vision and heard Jesus. How do they know that? They see the fruit of it, of what's about to happen. He goes to Cornelius' house. This is a Gentile person. Think about this church. When Jesus was here in the flesh, he said, I've only been called to the lost sheep of Israel. We don't talk to Gentiles. We're not doing that. Yet, after Pentecost, after all these glorious experiences, Peter's still hungry. He's still seeking God in prayer. And during prayer, he has a vision. Holy Spirit goes, this is what we're doing today. You're going with these men. He doesn't give them a heads up of we're changing church history here. <laughs> he says, just do this. Go with these guys. And he does it. He preaches a sermon. Holy Spirit falls because they believe while he's preaching. You'll notice in the verse in Acts chapter 10, right after it says he preaches about Jesus and the gospel, then the Holy Spirit falls. They heard the gospel. They believe in their hearts. 
Holy Spirit is antsy. He's not waiting for the altar call. Falls on everybody. Woo! They interrupt the sermon with spontaneous speaking in tongues and, and prophesying. And shame on them because 1 Corinthians 14 says, if you don't have an interpreter, are we insane right now when Holy Spirit falls? That's a whole other subject. That was a joke. Shame on them. Not shame on them. That's what the modern church would say. If it happened to them. If I went into a church full of unbelieving believers and I preached the gospel and Holy Spirit fell on them and the Holy Spirit started erupting in tongues and prophecy, I'd be like, all right, job is done here. I'll let the Lord clean up this mess. I'm going home, right? And the modern church wants to shut it all down. That's what happened. Get up, Peter. Go with these guys. I'm not, I'm not asking. I'm telling. And because he was obedient, you and I are sitting in this room right now. Unless you're Jewish, you might have had some hope apart from this. I'm a good Gentile. I had no hope apart from this. Because now the gospel's opened up to the whole world, to all the Gentiles. We're letting them in. So it spreads all over the world because of this moment. Wow, interesting. Acts chapter 13, verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, Holy Spirit said, set apart. I want you to notice. While they were what? Worshiping the Lord and fasting. Aren't we in a fast right now? Maybe it's more important than we realize. The Lord says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. I'm not asking. This is what we're doing. This is a big decision for a church to send out two missionaries that they're going to fully support. This is a big decision on life calling. And I was doing this. Now I'm just supposed to leave everything and follow and go. And I don't know where I'm going. Yeah. Holy Spirit's like, yep. Do it. That's what I said. Acts 16, 6 and 7. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching where they wanted to, which was in the province of Asia. Maybe your dream for God is not God's dream for you. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So these are men of God trying to do something for God, and and the Holy Spirit's like, nope, nope. So they stop. What happens next? Paul has a dream about a man in Macedonia. God speaks through a dream. I guess we're supposed to go to Macedonia. So they go to Macedonia. What happens there? They meet a lady named Lydia, dealer in purple cloth. She opens her heart to the gospel. She gets saved. They start a church in her city. It's called Philippi. I wonder if you've ever heard of it because we have a whole book in the Bible that was a letter Paul wrote to that church because one person got saved there and it grew to become such a prominent church in the area that 30 years later when Paul's writing his letters, he writes a letter to the church that he started because he wanted to go to Asia and Jesus said no and sent him over there. And then we see he goes through many other cities, spreading the gospel, starting churches, and he ends up in Ephesus, and he preaches in Ephesus for two years, and it says, through preaching in Ephesus, without trying to, without any of his own ambition involved, it says everyone in the province of Asia heard the word of God. 
Why? Because Paul had a master plan, and if we reach Asia next, it'll open us up to that whole continent. It's going to be amazing, guys. Let's have a meeting and plan it and strategize it. And the Holy Spirit went, I'm shutting that down. We're not doing that. You are humbly going to do what I tell you to do each and every day. And I'm not going to tell you the whole plan. But if you'll trust me, it will be more unfathomably amazing than you could imagine. And those of you going, yeah, but Asia needs to hear. Yeah, but Asia needs to hear. Oh, I'm going to do it my way. And my way will be easier and way more effective than you trying by yourself. So just trust me, Paul. And so he gets to Ephesus and Holy Spirit reaches the whole province of Asia. So compare that leadership style with modern church. I have a few notes that I wrote about it. They talk about him as if he was a personal friend. We hardly talk about him at all. They talk about him as if he was in charge. We talk about him as if, well, again, we don't really talk about him. So we assume we're in charge. And this is what a lot of Christians do. We buy into the false trinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Bible. The Bible's important. We talked about it all last week, right? And what a lot of Christians do and what a lot of churches do is we get the Bible and we say, this is God's rule book. It's his, it's his playbook. So we know this is what we're supposed to be doing. But what we do in our lives and in our churches is we read the rule book. We need to make disciples. We're supposed to be doing all this, loving each other, carrying burdens. We're supposed to be praying. And then we take the playbook and we start calling our own place. And so we're like, we're like a football team without a head coach because we're just calling our own plays all the time. And I think what is maddening to God at times is he's here. The head coach is in the room. And he's like, guys, that's my playbook. But you're not supposed to be calling the place. I am. And here's what you need to know about the scriptures. The Bible primarily is God's general will for every person on earth. What the Bible does not have in it is God's specific will for your life and your calling and my life and my calling. Wow, pastor, how are we going to figure that out? Reading the word is important because your specific will will fall within the general will. But once you know the general will, you're called to make this. Let me give you some help. (laughs) Here's God's will for your life. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. That's part one. Part two is make disciples, heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, help the poor. There. That's your calling. Aren't you happy? Well, I know that. If you're like me when I was 20, 21, yeah, I know that. But how do I do that? How do you know if you're called to be a vocational pastor that preaches on a stage versus called to be a pastor in the workplace, salt and like in the secular business world? How do you know that? The leadership and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Learning to hear God's voice. 
letting him direct the plays in your life. And his plays will never be outside of the playbook because he's the same as Jesus. It's the word of Jesus. Jesus said he, he'll, he will speak to you, but he won't, he's not speaking on his own because he's me. <laughs> Galatians 5, 16, 17 says, so I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So you are not to do whatever you want. I remember hearing a quote by Augustine when I was a young man. Love God and do what you will. Love God and do what you will. I have come to believe that that is bad advice. And Augustine's awesome. Great man of God. His book, Confessions, I've read it, amazing. But did you know Augustine and Luther and Calvin and all of them were wrong at times on some things? Go read the life of Luther and you'll be amazed at some of the beliefs he had about the kingdom and other types of Christians. Doesn't mean he wasn't who he is and an awesome man and I look forward to meeting him in heaven. But he was wrong on some things. Augustine was wrong on some things. Do not love God and do whatever you will. <laughs> because whatever he meant by that, your American personality will take a hold of that. Your American heart will take hold of that and lead you astray. Don't love God and do whatever you will. Love God and do what he wills. Do what he wills. Deny yourself. When your, your flesh and the spirit are in, they're in conflict, you are not to do whatever you want because you're a bride and you're to please the bridegroom. That's what love is. That's what love does. You're not to please yourself. Peter's vision, the sheet let down three times. Do you know why it was three times? I'm not sure, but I think it has something to do with after each time he said, not so, Lord. Vision, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Not so, Lord. Gabriel, repeat the vision. Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Not so, Lord. <sighs> wow. Thick-headed. Repeat the vision. Let's down. Not so, Lord. All right. Hey, listen, there's three guys coming. Just get up and go with them. All right. <laughs> You'll get it later. I'll give you the revelation after it all happens. If Jesus is your Lord... You cannot say, not so, Lord. That is incompatible. It's either not so or he's Lord. Pick one or the other. And Le Peter had a choice to make when he said, get up, go with the three men. And that time he said, yes, Lord. And the rest is history. So, People of the spirit will be spirit led. And that is not a light thing. It means he's Lord. And whatever he shows you, you want to know a fearful prayer. Lord, show me what you want and I surrender all. And whatever you show me, I'll do it. That's a fearful prayer. What other prayer is there to pray? Lord, show me your will, but secretly I hope it's my will. So is it my will? Is it my will? Is it my will? That's the prayer of Balaam, the false prophet. So God's like, all right, go. But your donkey's going to rebuke you. 
because I already told you not to go, and you know my will. You just want to do it. You want to get paid. So, are you spirit-led or self-led? How can you tell? Are you denying your flesh? Is there sin in your life? Do you overindulge in pleasures like food, entertainment, social media, TV, movies, hobbies, family activities, where you're just satisfying yourself all the time? And here's the key part, to the neglect of the calling of God on your life, to the neglect of going to church, to the neglect of making disciples, to the neglect of your prayer life, to the neglect of praying for people who are sick and seeing them be healed. If you find you're not doing the general will of God in your life because you're overindulging in all those things, again, it doesn't mean you're not necessarily born again, but there's some kind of idolatry or complacency or compromise in your life. And I can tell you that you're more self-led than spirit-led. But I believe the number one indicator of being a spirit-led Christian is, is looking at your prayer life. Because there's also a correlation. If you're overindulging in pleasure and sin, you're not praying very much. And I don't have to be prophetic to say that. Those things will rob you of wanting to pray. I think it was Ravenhill who said, if you sin, it will rob your desire to pray. And if you pray, it will rob your desire to sin. I think he said kill. <laughs> so how much are you praying? Because praying is seeking the Lord. It's seeking his leadership. It's what do you want? And speaking of Ravenhill, Leonard Ravenhill, you should read him. My favorite Christians to learn from are dead. Anybody else? All right. Leonard Ravenhill, A.W. Tozer, C.S. Lewis, <sighs> Augustine. I got to give him some props. Cloud witnesses. Sorry, dude. <laughs> He's awesome. Luther, sorry. Calvin, sorry. Great men of God, paid a cost. Love learning from those guys. Ravenhill has a great book called Why Revival Tarries. If you want to be ignited for the Lord, you should read it. Tozer wrote a book called The Pursuit of God. If you want to fall more in love with Jesus, you should read it. Um, but I want to close with this quote from Ravenhill on prayer. He said, no man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, few prayers. Many singers, few clingers. Lots of pastors, few wrestlers. Many fears, few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. It's interesting if we look at any lack in the American church other than our neglect of the Holy Spirit, it's our neglect of prayer. I wonder if there's a correlation, and I believe there is. So I want to encourage you to make prayer your habit. 
start a daily prayer habit. And I love conversational prayer. If you're getting started, just start doing that in the car. Pretend like he's sitting next to you and just start talking to him. But don't look at him while you're driving. Just talk to him. Just talk to him. That will get you started. If you've done that, that's how I started. And I, I ended up doing it all the time. Always praying, always asking for direction. And then what grew my prayer life was setting aside a specific time and place. And, and I'm not going to miss that. I'm going to do that every day. Like uh, Daniel, three times a day at the window. That's my place, going to the window. They make a law I can't pray. I'm going to the window <laughs> to pray against the law. And so there's a lot of resources out there. If, I would encourage you to read a book on prayer because it will inspire you to start praying. And if a great one for that purpose is The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson. Tons of, tes- tons of great teaching on prayer, tons of inspiring testimonies. And you'll finish that book and you'll be like, I'm keeping a prayer journal and I'm going to start praying. And that's a great way too because you record them and you can see where God answers and you can go back and you can see his faithfulness. So I encourage you to do that. I challenge you to do that. This week, this year, as we're finishing our fast this week. And lastly, come to one of our house of prayer meetings through the week. We have Tuesday through Friday at noon every day. And if you can't make one of those, we have Wednesday at 5 a.m. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to challenge you men to come to the Wednesday at 5 a.m. I don't know why, but it's just a lot of dudes at Wednesday at 5 a.m., all right? We didn't plan that. That's what's happening. You're welcome to come if you're a female. But it's awesome, you know? If you start work early, you can still pray for an hour and go to work, right? I don't, I don't work till late. Come pray for two hours and then go to work. <laughs> we'll be here. And start making prayer your habit. <sighs> I want to encourage you with this. And this is just for you. And this is just, again, one of those little signs, one of those little evidences of the power of prayer. 1997 Gallup poll done by the National Association of Marriage Enhancement studied the effects of faith and religion on marriage. So they studied how often people went to church, you know, prayed, did all these other things. And what they found was that the divorce rate among Christian people was pretty much the same as the culture and unchristian people. Sadly, that's basically still true today. They did have one very interesting study, though, or finding from the study. And one of the questions had to do with prayer, how often you pray, and how often you pray with your spouse. And what they found was something completely different among spouses who prayed together regularly, which meant at least several times a week. In this study, they found that couples who pray together regularly, the divorce rate was not the same as the culture. The divorce rate was one out of 1,152. That's way less than 1%. So if you want to divorce-proof your marriage, you should start praying together. If your marriage is facing divorce, your only hope is Jesus, so you should start praying until you can pray together. Prayer is powerful. Prayer works. I wonder if it's because 
Do you think people who pray together don't have issues and they don't argue, they don't fight, they don't get along? Is that how that works? No, I think it's when they're praying. I, I will speak from personal experience in my marriage because we're both people of prayer, but when we pray, the Holy Spirit goes, yeah, you were kind of harsh. Maybe you should say you're sorry. Hey, maybe you should repent too. Hey, guess what? Now you, maybe you should start uh, doing proactive things to bless her. Maybe you should start doing proactive and the marriage gets built. And the marriage gets strong. Why? Because you're listening to the leadership of Jesus. Jesus wants you to have a healthy marriage. Jesus loves marriage. He wants you to stay married. Prayer is powerful. When we believe in Christ, we're born again. We are people of the Spirit. (laughs) Which means we're not going to feel at home in this world. So we just need to receive that. And own that. And know that I'm not going to act like everyone else. I'm not going to engage in everything like everyone else. I'm not going to eat like everyone else. I'm not going to watch TV like everyone else. I'm going to live a lifestyle of consecration set apart for God. We'll be people with the character of Jesus, the power and gifts of, this, of Jesus, and we'll be led by Jesus. And it'll be all three. People of the Spirit are truly all three which also means we're going to be people of prayer. So to be, in, to be people of prayer, we have to be in prayer. Amen? Why don't we do that? <sighs> Jesus, I just pray right now for people here tonight that maybe don't know you yet and they're struggling because they've always thought that they have to do everything in the Christian life to be a good person. And I pray you would totally demolish that idea, that religious mindset, that falsehood, to know that when we make covenant with you, when we just give you permission and say, yes, I'm in, when we make that commitment, you do something totally supernatural and beautiful. You conceive yourself in us. You circumcise our heart. You cause us to be born again. We have a new nature. We start losing the desire for the old things, and we start having a desire, being filled with desire for you. (laughs) Which means when we're filled with desire for you, we start to desire the things that are of you, like your church, and your word, and prayer, and good works that bless other people in the earth, and loving people in Jesus' name. Just encourage them with that, Lord, that it is not up to them. It is not by might nor by power, but by the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray you'd encourage those of us tonight who know you with that same truth, because the Lord knows I'm a Peter personality, And I like to grab the playbook and say, got it from here. Thanks, Dad. Let's go win the world for Christ. And then I get so frustrated when I find there's no grace on what I'm doing for you because you didn't call me to do it. And you just want simple obedience every day. And I thank you, Jesus, of the example in Acts that you had a plan to win the world (laughs) through simple acts of obedience from your disciples. And uh, that's an encouragement for all of us. 
We don't have to have a big plan and strategy. Five-year plan. Ha! God mocks your five-year plan. Ha! God mocks the five-year plans of the business world and of the leadership gurus. God's got a today plan. It's called obedience. And if we will do that, he will do more in five years than we could have dreamed of doing in a lifetime. So I thank you for that, Jesus. That relieves all the pressure. But we want to do that. We want to engage in it because the pride of life and accomplishment. If I work hard enough, I can achieve it, and then I get the glory. And we just surrender all that. We lay it all down tonight. We say, no way. We lay it at your feet. We don't want it. We crucify it. We burn it up. I ask you to burn it up and send it away from us, Jesus. And we get the privilege of sons and daughters. No, just be in my household. We're going to do this together. Stay under my yoke, which is under my grace. Then I'm going to do it. And like, it'll be a fun ride because you get to be a part of it. But I get all the glory. It's like, man, that sounds awesome. Let's do that. So, Lord, I say, let's do that. <laughs> let's do that. We need to read surrender tonight as we sing. We re-surrender all of our dreams, our hopes, our plans for our lives. Because they're not our lives. They're your life. We were bought with a price. We're not living for ourselves. We're living for you. So, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would cause new birth in this place tonight, all through this year. You would circumcise hearts. You would give us strength and resolve and willpower, the willpower of God to deny ourselves so that we can feast on you. And I pray as we do, Jesus, your character would just grow. And we'd be amazed at what happens when we just repent and rest and trust you. I pray as we do that, we just gently surrender. Boom, you pour out more power and gifts than we could imagine. I pray as we do that, as we just surrender, we just yield to you, we humbly obey. (sighs) That you would just lead us. into your will for our lives in our generation. And I pray that would bring so much greater satisfaction and fulfillment and contentment greater than anything that the world has to offer. So I thank you for those things, Jesus. We want to be led by your spirit. We want to be filled with your spirit. We want to know you in spirit. So, Holy Spirit, I pray right now in this church, you would increase your your spirit's presence in our lives. I pray that you would increase spiritual gifts and anointings. I pray you would help us to hear your voice as we're praying and reading scripture. I pray for an increase in the power of spiritual gifts to help us manifest you to one another in our midst to build up the church. I pray, Lord that you would give us massive wisdom and discernment to use them in love, in love to build up the church. 
And I pray for courage. I pray this year we see more people make courageous decisions to do the will of God, to share faith when the Holy Spirit says share your faith, to leave their job when Holy Spirit says leave your job, to start a fast when Holy Spirit says I want you to fast for this many days. I pray for a holy fear and awe and reverence for the Holy Spirit's guidance and wisdom and leadership. That when we hear your voice, you say jump, we say how high. We might need, was that you, Lord? We might need to check. But I pray for the spirit of Gideon. I'm checking, I'm discerning, but if this is God, I'm doing it. I don't care the cost. I don't care if they kill me. I don't care if we lose. I'm doing it. I'm all in. I just feel like the Lord's igniting callings in this room and in this, uh, he's going to do it over this weekend in our church. He's reminding people of callings that they've laid down, that they've given up on because it was too hard and the road was blocked and, and all these excuses. But the truth is you just weren't willing to take a step of faith and do it. Just do it. And so God's going to reignite those things. And he's going to show you how to do it. And it's not the fullness. He's going to show you the first step. And if you'll take the first step, if you'll step through the door, the plan will unfold before you. So I thank you for your leadership, Jesus. Thank you for this word. And I pray for courage. Why is it Indiana Jones has more courage to take a step of faith on an invisible walkway in a totally fake movie than the American church has to trust their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? When he says, get up and go with those men. Help us to hear your voice, God. I renounce the spirit of unbelief. I renounce a deaf and mute spirit. Come off this church in Jesus' name. Come off these people in Jesus' name. You're being delivered from a deaf spirit so you can hear the voice of God, so you can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. I renounce the suppressive veils of the enemy in Jesus' name. Come off these people in Jesus' name. The muffled earmuffs that are keeping you from hearing God's voice. I pray for clarity, Jesus. He says they have to quiet themselves. They have to quiet their lives. They have to quiet their minds. He says, be still and you'll know that I'm God. If you take time to listen, he says, I will speak to you. So take the time. Fast. Pray. Get alone. Seek his face. Thank you for clarity, Jesus. I thank you for confirmation of these words through other believers, like the testimony we heard tonight, dreams and visions. Thank you, Lord. We want to serve you. We want to obey you. We love you, Jesus. And I thank you for all these things in your mighty name. Amen.